Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me today to Judges chapter 7. I'm going to read uh, some verses of Scripture beginning with verse 1 this morning. And I want to preach to you uh, today from the story of Gideon. And uh, I'm going to be preaching a message called the 300 today. And so uh, the story of Gideon, many of you know the story of Gideon. For those of you who are not uh, as familiar with that story, let me take you up to speed to where we are in Judges chapter 7. What has happened is Israel has turned its back on God and has really forsaken uh, the things that, that they know are right. And as a result, Israel has been under oppression of, the, of Midian for seven years. And they are being constantly pillaged by the Midianites. And so what's, what's happening is every time uh, crops come uh, to harvest, to the point of harvest, uh, the Midianites would come down out of the mountains, they would raid, they would take all their stuff, and then they would go back. And the Israelites were really just left with scraps. And so they were raiding their, their farms, their, 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 their homesteads, and just taking their animals and just whatever. And as a result of this, uh, eking out existence over a long period of time, seven years, uh, finally Israel has gotten a clue that they need God in their lives. And so they, they've turned back to God and now they're crying out for His deliverance and crying out for His help. And so what God does in His answer is He raises up a man named Gideon. And Gideon, if you read chapter 6, you'll see that Gideon goes through this huge struggle of whether or not he's really the guy God's talking to or not. And he goes back and forth. We all can relate to that. And we all understand that there's sometimes that struggle of God, is this you or is this not you? And and after a course of time, Gideon finally surrenders to God's plan. And and that's where we find ourselves here in chapter 7. That God is raising up Gideon to lead the revolution or the revolt against Midian and free the Israelites from oppression. And so would you help me pray this morning as I prepare to preach to you the 300. Father, we thank you today, God, for your blessings. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray your anointing would rest upon me and rest upon this house. That, God, you would just help us to engage, Lord, in your word this morning. That, Father, I would be able to release the, the, the word that you have placed inside of me and that I would be able to communicate to your people today something that would stir hearts and stir lives and move us to a place where we are actively engaged in in your, in your activities, that we are actively engaged in what you're doing. And Father, we would put our hands to the plow this morning and we would not turn back and not look back, but we would go full steam ahead to what you have placed before us to accomplish, Father. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each and every person in this room, but Lord, I pray a special blessing upon each and every man in this room today. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see, Father, a mind to know what the Spirit of God is speaking to us in these days that we're living in currently, Father. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now that Gideon has answered the call, he is gathering his army. And so when the call is given, when when Gideon says, okay, I will lead the revolt, I will go out, and I will be the person that God uh, uses to, to lead this revolution, but I can't do this on my own, and I need some people. And he gives the call out, and what happens is 32,000 people show up to help out. Now that's a good day of ministry, amen? 
I'm just saying, that's a great day of ministry. If, I, if God calls me and I say, okay, God, I'm in all the way, and I, and I come and I, I share my vision and I share my heart, and 32,000 people say, we're with you, Pastor. And that's a great day. That, that's, a, that's a day where you're on the mountaintop, amen? And, and you're feeling good about, you know God has called you at that point. You don't have any questions. But let's pick it up now in verse 1. It says this, Then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Now that's peculiar. Now God, aren't you sure that we don't have enough? But too many, that's crazy talk, right? The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Let's... Israel claimed glory for itself against me. Now, I want you to stop there for just a minute and I want you to think about what God is saying. You know, sometimes we, we, we face difficulties because if we had it with ease and we were able to overcome with ease, we would find ourselves taking the credit for what God has really done. And so sometimes difficulty just keeps us humble. Sometimes the challenge of doing it the harder way keeps us humble and keeps us focused on who really is making things happen in our lives. And that's what, that's what God's concern is here. Look, if you do it and you're able to accomplish this and you're able to knock out this army, then there's no, no, uh, no reason for you to pay attention to me and give me credit for what I'm doing and what, what I'm actually accomplishing through you, but you're going to take credit for yourself. Verse 3. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people saying... Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and only 10,000 remained. Now we just had a great day of ministry and this is a bad day of ministry. When When you step up and say everybody that's afraid, everybody that's fearful, you guys are free to go on home. And 22,000 of your 32,000 turns around and leaves you. You just went from the mountain to the valley. God, are you really sure you called me to do this? Are you really sure that this is what you want me to do? 22,000 people immediately walk away. And now only 10,000 are left. Now God is eventually... What God is eventually going to do is He's going to whittle down this army even more until there's only 300 men left. And so there's, there's three things that I'm going to pull out of the text today. And the, the first thing that we see from the 300 is that they are willing. That they are willing. Now in actuality what we find in the text is that there was actually 10,000 people who were willing. But we're talking about the, the, all the qualities that the 300 possess that God uses to bring about deliverance. But in actuality there's 10,000 men that are actually willing. Two things that we see here about their willingness. First of all, they were willing to answer the call. There, there's a call given to each and every single one of us. And, and many of us need to, be will, we need to be willing to answer the call this morning. We need to be willing to respond to what God is saying to us and and react to what He is asking of us to do. First, they were willing to answer the call. The call has been sounded. And they are at a point where they've had enough. Seven years we've gone through this. Seven years we have been pillaged. 
Seven years we've been taken advantage of. Seven years we have been abused. Seven years we've been mistreated. Seven years we have lived by survival and not by thriving. And I'm done with it and I'm tired of it. And so 10,000 people say, I am with you. I am done with this life and I'm ready for something to change. How hard does it have to get before we're really, we're, we're really willing to see some changes take place in, in the things around us? How, how difficult must it become before we're willing to answer the call that God has given us? We are, we are done with Midian's oppression and now we're going to fight is what, the, what these men are saying. They're willing to answer the call. The second thing that we see is that they were willing to stand in opposition to the fear that they felt. They were willing to stand in opposition to the fear they felt. They didn't let uh, fear direct their decision making. They they didn't let being afraid stop them from standing for their families and standing for their nation. Because here's the reality of it is that everybody gets afraid. The 10,000 were were not so courageous that they were not afraid. If you read that, you're, you're misunderstanding human nature because everybody's afraid. The the deal with the 10,000 is that they didn't let fear decide the outcome for their lives. They didn't let fear dictate the decision that they needed to make. They they had more consciousness of their families and their nations more than they had consciousness of their their own struggle and their own difficulties. They were thinking beyond themselves enough that they didn't let fear decide their fate and decide their future and decide what they were going to do. The question is, are you going to let fear decide your fate this morning or are you going to stand in opposition to the fear that plagues your life and the things that are coming against you, coming against your family, coming against your church and actually stand for what is right regardless of what fears may be plaguing you. Because that's what the challenge is from God to these men. Are you going to stand and fight regardless of how you feel and and regardless of what you fear? Or are you going to turn tail and run to where you find security? I believe that God is looking for some men that are willing this morning. Somebody ought to say amen. Men that are willing. Men that are willing to answer the call. How long today before enough is enough for us as as men? How long before my kids are, 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 are facing enough stuff that I stand in the gap between them and the enemy and say enough is enough? How long before my church goes through enough difficulties that I finally say enough is enough and I'm going to stand here in the gap and I'm not going to let those things come upon us anymore? I'm done with the oppression. I'm done with the difficulty. I'm done with the challenges and I'm ready to fight for what I believe is right. How long before we fight for our nation and stand between the evil that is coming upon our nation and say enough is enough. No more immorality. No more of this garbage that the the enemy is pushing down our throats. How long before we as men and, and the church stand and say I've had enough with that. Who is willing this morning to stand in direct opposition to the forces that are trying to bring oppression upon our nation and our families? Men that are willing to take courage and not let fear send them home. The church... I believe this with all my heart that the church is in desperate need for the masculine spirit. I said the church is in desperate need of the masculine spirit 
Men who will be men and not make apologies for being that way. Because the Bible says that God created them male and female. He created them. I don't know about this transgender garbage, but I know that the Bible says that God made them male and female. There's no debate on that. But how long are we going to let the enemy cram junk down our throats before we finally stand up and say, I've had enough of this and I'm not taking it anymore? The world needs masculinity to rise again. America needs masculinity to rise again. Men, you were created to be men. Don't make apologies for being men. God created you that way. The kingdom of God, the church, nor the world needs more domesticated men or spiritual eunuchs. We need men who are men. They need passionate, salty, wild men with a cause. And that cause is the cause of Christ and a willingness to fight for that cause. Amen. The church and the world needs men willing to answer the call, willing to take the courage and fight on behalf of their nation and their families. They were willing. Let's look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So God's about to do some culling and whittle this army down even more. Verse 5 says, So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laughs from the water with his tongue... As a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lap, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. Putting their hand to their mouth. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. So we read that and we think, what a peculiar test. I mean, what a, what a strange way of designating who goes and who, who, who stays and fights. What does it matter how you drink the water? Whether you're face down or with your hand to your mouth. Because here's the deal. Some of them were getting down and drinking water directly from the stream. That was the 9,700 that they sent home. But then the 300 were men that would reach down into the water and they would lap the water from their hand to their mouth. Why does it matter how you drink the water? I think it matters very much how we drink the water. The water of life has been given to us. The word says in John 4, 14, listen. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I think it very much matters how we drink the water. So how do you drink the water this morning? How do you deal with what God has freely given you? The water that we're referring to is the water of life and the water of spirit that God, Jesus says in this verse of scripture, has been given freely to us. So how do we regard what has been given freely to us? How how do we react to the living waters that Jesus Christ has poured out on us? Because here's what I believe, that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian to the fullest. Just because you're willing doesn't mean you're able to bring deliverance. 
And what I'm saying to you this morning is we've got a lot of people who have drank the water of spirit and life. They've drank the water of Christianity, but they've not drank the water that well. And they've only drank enough to get them into heaven, but they're not drinking it to the point that they can live to the fullest lives that God has given them and really make a difference in the world around them. And that's what God has called us to be. And that is what specifically God has called men to be. Men who stand and fight for what is right. Amen. So it matters how you drink the water. And just because, like I said, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian to the fullest. 10,000 men here are willing, but God needed more than just willingness. I'm willing to be a Christian. I'm, I'm willing to come to church. I'm willing to do this, that, and the other. But listen, it takes more than that. It also takes a vigilance. Not only willing, but willing and ready. Willing and ready to act. Willing and ready to respond. The test is determined who of the 10,000 is ready at all times. That's the reason that he doesn't want people that stick their head down to the ground, not vigilant, not watching, not not scanning the horizon to see when the enemy attacks, but he wants 300 people who will take that water and they never take their eyes off the prize. They never take their eyes off of what they're there to do. They never take their eyes off of their purpose. We've come here to fight, and I'm not about to let my guard down today. Amen. He's talking about vigilance. To who's, who's ready at all times? Who keeps a watchful eye? And who bears in mind the urgency of the day? Not only were, they, were the 300 willing, they, the 300 were also watchmen. They were willing, and they were watchmen. The reason for the test is to determine the readiness of the men. To see who would be ready to respond instantly. God is looking for some watchmen. Some men ready and attentive and driven by urgency. You know, there's a difference between being willing if you need me and a a willingness that is ready and watching at all times. And in this last days that we're living in, where where truly I believe Jesus could return at any moment, in any moment, we not only need to be willing, but we need to be willing, ready, and watching for the return of our King. We need to be willing, ready, and watching to, to see where the enemy may strike so that we can stand in the gap between them and our families. All men, all men have it in their nature to be watchmen. You don't believe me? Try talking to us when the TV's on. It's innate. I mean, we, we got it in us. Many of you will go to the mall and you watch your wife shop. Or you sit on a park bench and you watch people go by. We, we have a nature to watch. That's what we do. But that nature is given to us by the Father for a greater purpose than just the things that we sometimes use them for. It is to be watchmen over our families. It is to be watchmen over our churches. It is to be watchmen over our nations. To be vigilant and ready to fight and defend those things that are precious to us. 9,700 men were let go by God because they weren't vigilant. The scripture talks a lot about watching and being ready and being vigilant. Why? Because you can't be apathetic and be vigilant at the same time. 
You can't be apathetic and vigilant at the same time. You can't be nonchalant, just disinterested, disconnected, and be vigilant at the same time. So vigilant is a driving force to keep the urgency of God in our lives at an all-time high. It is to keep that purpose present and keep it powerful and to keep it moving in in our everyday lives. I believe that apathy is the greatest plague attacking men and attacking the church today. Apathy because we're tired. We're worn out. We don't know what to do. We sometimes let fear capture us and hold us hostage. But God is calling us to shake it off and recapture His great purpose once again. And the only way to do that is to release that masculine spirit that God placed inside of you at your birth and to release that in His purpose and in His calling. Being watchmen. We have to be ready. We have to be vigilant. We have to be driven by urgency. Lord... I believe with all my heart, is getting ready to come back. And he he has said that he is returning for a church that is ready and watching. So keep ready, keep vigilant. Matthew 24, 42 says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. He's saying keep a watchful eye. Be ready at all times because you do not know when I'm going to return. Listen, there are everything that is coming down the pike is saying to you if you have an inkling of biblical understanding that Jesus is about to split those eastern skies and return for His church. And I'm just saying to you, being a Christian may not be enough to sustain you. You've got to be a Christian that is willing and ready and vigilant and aware of what is going on around you and be ready to fight for what you believe in. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that one clap. (laughs) Praise God. Verse 16. You know, it bothers me that when I talk to Christians sometimes, and I'm I'm just not referring to you, but it bothers me sometimes when I talk to Christians about the, the imminent return of God, that they just seem nonchalant about that, seem apathetic about that, seem disinterested in that that's the reason we are here that's the reason we are fighting for what we are fighting for that is the reason for the existence of the church altogether is to prepare a bride for the return of a king to to prepare a church for the return uh, of the savior and if that doesn't stir you up then my goodness what will We, we need to have that urgency in our spirit. Jesus is getting ready to come back. And just because you said a prayer when you were five doesn't mean you're going to be okay when He returns for His church. Christianity is an ongoing profession of your faith. It is an ongoing walking out process. It is a, is a daily uh, commitment to, to die to flesh and, and to commit to Christ. And so if that's not a daily endeavor in your life, it may be insufficient to carry you in the day of His return. Amen. Amen. Nobody wants to hear that sometimes, but I would be wrong as your pastor not to try to sound some alarm. Verse 16, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers and he said to them, look at me and do likewise 
he says, watch. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every, every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and they cried, the sword of the Lord and Gideon and every man stood in his place. I love that, don't you? Every man stood in his place. All around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Verse 25, and they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. On the other side of the battle, there is victory. The last thing that we see from the 300 is this, that they were warriors. They were willing, they were watchmen, and they were warriors. Notice two things that the 300 were instructed to do. He said, first of all, blow the trumpet. When you hear me blow the trumpet, you blow the trumpet. Blow the trumpet. Sound the alarm. Let, let everybody know that we are here and we are here to fight. It's, it's time, church, to sound the alarm. It's time to blow the trumpet. It's time for us to make known uh, God's ways and God's, God's, God's plan and, and God's imminent return. It's time for us to sound the alarm. Men, you are called to sound the alarm. You're called to sound the alarm in your church. You're called to sound the alarm in your families. I ask my children all the time, are, are you ready to meet Jesus if He comes back? Because I can't fathom what life would be like for them without their mother and father here and them facing that. And so I'm just saying, sound the alarm. My kids look at me sometimes like, Dad, you're crazy. I don't care. Because as long as they're saved and they're going to heaven, that's all that matters. So sound the alarm. In old days, the watchmen, they stood on the wall and they looked for intruders or invasion. When they saw a threat, they would sound the alarm. And the watchmen... Not only people that sounded the alarm, but they were also warriors. They didn't only sound the alarm, but they also defended the kingdom. The church, and specifically the men of the church too, often stand by and do nothing and say nothing when they clearly see some of the threats invading the kingdom. And the time for us standing by, standing idly by, and not sounding the alarm has passed. We've got to speak up. And that's why the masculine... We need men to raise a ruckus from time to time. We need men to not remain quiet. God did not call you to remain quiet. He called you to sound the alarm. He calls you to make your voice be heard. People that are heard are those that are passionate enough not to be silenced. People that are heard are the ones that are passionate enough not to be silenced. And I think it's a sad day for the church when oftentimes those that are promoting immorality... And the evil agenda of the enemy are more passionate about the, the, the sin of this world than the church is about the, the saving grace of our Savior and King. The second thing that we see is that they carried a torch in a pitcher. That to me is symbolic that we carry in us the very light of Christ. Men are called to carry in themselves the light of Christ. And when that time comes and the moment is right, we break ourselves open exposing the light of Jesus. The breaking is a violent reaction. 
They, they broke the pictures to expose those torches. It, it speaks of letting the light burst out of us when necessary. Think about the context here. The context is war. The context is war. The goal was to strike fear in the enemy. This is not talking about letting your little light shine. This is talking about a violent eruption, a light bursting forth out of the containers, the vessels. I appreciate when a man erupts in a wild fury from time to time with righteous indignation. There's a time to be gentle and there's a time to be furious. And I think we have been so domesticated at times that we refuse to verbalize and be adamant about what we believe and what we know is true. Matthew eleven twelve says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of, your, of God and your families need some warriors today. They need some men who are willing to fight and willing to stand. Willing watchmen and warriors. Amber, would you come this morning? What I love most about the 300 is this, that God took the army from 32,000 to 300 and defeated the nation of Midian with them. God doesn't need a lot of people. He doesn't need a lot of talent. He doesn't need a lot of resources. I mean, Gideon was a wreck. Read, read verses or chapter 6 and you'll see Gideon is a wreck. But God still used him because he was willing And God will use you if you're willing. It speaks, I believe, of Him whittling this army down to 300. It speaks of God's ability to use a remnant to make a difference. Jeremiah 31, 6 says, For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people the remnant of Israel. God is raising up a remnant army in these last days. He's raising up a group of people who will not be silenced, who will not be compromised, who will stand willing, watching, and will fight for what they believe in. Romans 11.5 says, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There is a remnant army today. I want to be a part of that army. I want to be a part of that army. We don't know what the church may go through in the days ahead. We don't know what difficulties the church, the church may face. But regardless of what storms may come upon us, let's remain true, let's remain steadfast, and let's remain steady with God and let's be watching and vigilant, ready for His return. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving chat. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river.